Hello. Ever noticed that there are a lot of questions going around these days? They might be coming from a television program or from our hosts on television news or radio call-in shows in schools and at the workplace. We live in a questioning age because, well, a lot of things are changing and some of us, you know, are not sure about that or how to do that or where to put this. Maybe that's always the case, but it, it seems to me that this is there's just a lot of questions on our minds. And this message, preached at St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, by the redheaded preacher on March 12, 2023, is called Never Underestimate the Power of a Question. Because questions do have power. And in our gospel reading, which is from John chapter 4, the whole life-changing event told in the gospel, which will be read by Mark Loach, starts with questions. Jesus asks a question. The Samaritan woman kind of responds with a question. And it goes on from there until the transformation of almost an entire village in, of all places, Samaria. So, please join me, Richard Lanford, in this upcoming message as we'll explore a little bit about the power of questions. The first reading today is Exodus 17, verses 1 through 17. Moses and the escaped Hebrews are on the move after fleeing Egypt. They have not yet made it to Mount Sinai. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Our next and final reading is from the Gospel according to John. <clears throat> Last Sunday, the Gospel lesson had Jesus refer to us being born of both water and the Spirit. Today, we have another passage having to do with water. It is John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. Jesus and the disciples are traveling north from Judea to Galilee, and make a stop in Samaria, not friendly territory. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, 
ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sour and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This ends the reading from John in our scripture lessons for this morning's service. May God grant us a generous and wise understanding of this, God's holy word. Our worship continues with a musical meditation from our music director, Ben Westfall.
underestimate the power of a question. Just think of some of the most important questions posed to you that you answered. Maybe it was, will you marry me? Or perhaps it was in or before Confirmation Sunday, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Or before a baptism or during a baptism, do you desire to have your child baptized into this faith? And do you promise by your life and teaching with God's help to lead this child into an understanding of this faith and into the service of Jesus Christ? And then there's an, a question that could be asked um, by a potential employer. Why do you want this job? And in other circumstances, are you ready to get help? Some questions can be powerful and positive, but are not ones to which you should reply. I don't know if I've shared this story with you or not. Beth has heard it a hundred times. One of my classes as a senior at the University of Minnesota was History of American Drama. Professor Quiet asked us a question. My hand went up. I had an idea of an answer. And then he went on to say, without missing a beat, that's a rhetorical question. And do you know what a rhetorical question is? One that does not have an answer. Down went my arm. But I learned something I've never forgotten what a rhetorical question is. Questions can be life-changing, even if relatively, maybe not so many of them turn out to be. Life-changing questions can be those you or I are asked, or questions we ask someone else. Frequently when asked, the talkers have no idea that a life-changing question will come up, or even realize that one has at the time. Maybe you or a family member was asked a question and only after, upon, only after some reflection, let that question's power have its impact on you or his or her life. Well, today's gospel lesson, it's, the story shows us the power of questions. Here asked by Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. It all starts at Jacob's well in Samaria. John 4, verse 4, the verse before Mark started reading, tells us Jesus had to go through Samaria. Hmm. And as Mark indicated, that's not friendly territory. Most Jewish travelers avoided going through Samaria if possible, but perhaps this was a divinely inspired compulsion. And the geography is important. Jacob's well was one that Jacob got from Isaac, I believe we heard. So it's within the history of the patriarchs, and even going, and it's near Sychar. Sychar is near to, or now is, what is called Nablus, an embattled Palestinian city on the West Bank. And uh, one uh, scholar said, perhaps that is modern history's most embattled Palestinian city, most contested real estate. He said, Abram made his first sacrifice nearby. And it was in this very area that the promise of land was first given. 
As we heard in Genesis 12 last week, the promise to Abram, I will give your descendants this land. They're, Jesus and the well are right by this. And the location, with its backdrop of Isaac, Jacob, Abram, it underlines what Jesus would later say to the woman, salvation is from the Jews. As that promise included that by Abram and Sarah, descendants, the world would be blessed. By them, their, by their descendants, the world would be blessed. They're by that promise. So John gives us Jesus at the well, alone, weary and thirsty, around noon. The woman arrives with her jar to get water, also alone. And we heard Mark read, A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The first words confront us with what could be two problems for a conversation. Jesus was Jewish. She was a Samaritan. We know these two cultures distrusted, disagreed with, and heartily disliked each other. We know she was a woman. And Jesus, a rabbi, she himself called him a rabbi, for a rabbi especially, to speak to a woman in public was not something a rabbi would do. Two strikes against her in Jewish culture's conviction, and then add that they are in a place ripe with Jewish history. But Jesus asked. He asked the question. He did not order her to give him a drink. And this one query... This one question opened the door to everything that followed. Never underestimate the power of a question. Allow me to turn to our friend Frederick Dale Bruner, who, after writing a delightful two-volume commentary on Matthew, then went on to compose a thick, newer one on the Gospel according to John. Of Jesus and this question, he wrote... Jesus' question to the woman teaches volumes about evangelism. Missionary translators know that the Greek aorist imperative, dos moi pain, give me something to drink, requires the question and please form in English. Jesus' own paralleling of his asking her with her asking in verse 10 will reinforce the question ambiance of an exchange. Jesus did not command the woman to give him a drink. He asked her for a drink. As the woman herself says, English usage requires of this Greek grammar the word please. An asker, he continued, we know from human experience, an asker momentarily places oneself beneath the asked one in social power. So Jesus goes down low in his initial relation with, to the woman. He not only is a real human being, but he talks as a real human being as well. Questions, as we also know from experience, are not only the best way to begin conversations, they're the very lifeblood of conversations. The interested person is the interesting person. Jesus did not begin his conversation with the woman by asking her, however, do you realize you're a sinner? Jesus is a gentleman, and he is wonderfully human and humane. 
Now we know that Jesus breaks barriers, and here he breaks two at least, speaking to a woman in public and a Samaritan woman at that. His question brings up her question in surprise reply. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? This keeps the conversation flowing. He turns this around and says, if she knew the gift of God and who it is who is asking of her a drink, she instead would have asked him for a drink and he would have given her living water. Well, after she takes that water language literally, she keeps the chat going with another question about where does he get such water? And is he greater than Jacob who gave them this well? And he replies with a grand teaching for everyone. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them, in them, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Now, although what followed from her was not exactly in the form of a question, it was an ask. When she asked him to please give her this water, even if she still interpreted it, at least partly literally, relating it to well water, but this water that he has, And that's what is required, right? To ask. Jesus said, if you would have known who this is, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Freely. Just ask from Christ. By the way, a more thorough study within John and the New Testament will, for which we do not have time, will reveal that this living water that becomes within askers, believers, a fountain gushing up to eternal life, that's the Holy Spirit in whom God's people will worship God wherever they worship in spirit and in truth. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Just a skosh. That comes up in the continued exchange between Jesus and the woman, which, again, after they get through the part about her having had five husbands and plus a current significant other, that knowledge of her life convinces our woman that Jesus, with this knowledge, is a prophet, man. And that sparks yet another question, a question which gets Jesus talking about what's coming, the time when the right place to worship the Lord is not in Jerusalem's temple nor the Samaritan temple at Mount Gerizim, but in spirit and in truth, regardless of location. Her question about, you know, you say this and and we say this, what do you say about where the proper place to worship is? Her question allowed Jesus to give an answer that will destroy one of the major fighting points between Jews and Samaritans. At the end of his reply, she affirms that they are both awaiting this coming future and that Messiah will proclaim all things to us and Jesus makes his rare and vital claim rarely makes this he responds by saying I am he the one who is speaking to you he said it in Greek ego emi which means I 
I am. And maybe you'll recall, here's a question, where we have heard that in Scripture before. When Moses asked the burning bush, the voice with the burning bush, whom he should say is sending him to free the Hebrew slaves from Egypt, who should I say is sending me? The answer he heard in English was, tell them I am has sent you. I am. Later, in the Greek New Testament, when Jesus' age is brought up as being too young to tell the Pharisees and scribes what to do, Jesus says, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And they could only interpret that as going back to that story in Exodus. And here he's speaking to the Samaritan woman. I am. Ego emi, I, I am. Jesus lays it out there to her. And she goes back to her village. And she asks them a question too at the village. After describing how this man Jesus was a prophet, she said, he cannot be the Messiah, can he? Subsequent conversation followed, I'm sure. Never underestimate the power of a question. Jesus' humble opening ask for a drink of water, please, disregarding her being a Samaritan and a woman, not paying any attention to these barriers that human culture have set up. That question opened it all up, and she kept it going. She kept it going until very soon, John records, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Another crucial question, to which his answer was, yes. Will you stay with us, we Samaritans, for a couple of days? And many more believed in his word, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. And their conversation, as it might have been for Samaritan, unlikely as it might have been for Samaritans, to claim Jesus as the Savior of the world, including their world, despised by most Jewish rabbis, this conversation took place because of questions asked and the conversations tussling with them. Miscommunications were cleared up, the outpouring of the Spirit and Jesus' willingness to stay in enemy territory for two more days. This was all the result of questions being asked. Never underestimate the power of a question. I thought our Lenten Bible study curriculum had a few good ones for those present last Wednesday. One question asked us, in these passages, John the Baptist is a signpost, pointing people to God. While he attracts attention with his words in life, he leads people to turn their attention to Jesus. What or who do you point to? Another was, who has, like John the Baptist, pointed you to God? Questions which can engender a lot of conversation. Unfortunately, we were starting to run out of time.
but all the same. Answers to questions like these, in respectful conversation with trusted fellow Christians, or perhaps not necessarily with them, they can spur more questions and more conversation, possibly, if not definitely, deepening our faith, or leading us to ask even more probing questions of ourselves or our church. I want to express my appreciation for the UCC mission moment on the back of our Sunday bulletin. It's near the end of the digital version, too, before you get to the scriptures. The writer's first point was also about questions, lauding the Samaritan woman for her curiosity. The writer writes, the first question is from Jesus, who asks for a cup of water, but then the woman counters with another question, trying to get more information. She continued to reach out to Jesus, her questions building a bridge across the gap that separates them. Then she pointedly asks, sort of like our Bible study author, is your congregation open-hearted like the woman at the well? Are you ready to see and receive Jesus however he may appear? Are you as a congregation curious? Are you ready to ask questions and get to know even those who you have been told that you have no business talking to? Asking a small question started a conversation that ended up changing the life and the lives, excuse me, the lives of an, almost an entire village in Samaria. According to Greek tradition, Greek Orthodox tradition, Photina is the name of the Samaritan woman with whom Jesus spoke at the well. Deeply moved by this experience, tradition has it, that she took to preaching the gospel, was imprisoned for that, and was finally martyred at Carthage. But as women were the first witnesses to tell the good news of the resurrection, it was a woman who was the first evangelist to the Samaritans as well. Let us be alert to the power of questions, ours and those posed to us, to ultimately, perhaps, the power ultimately to end up sharing Christ and seeing how lives and communities can be changed. Never underestimate the power of questions even to lead to salvation and a more just, loving, barrier-breaking world. And that's good news. Amen. And now here's my question from me to you. Did you get anything out of this sermon? Notice I didn't ask, did you like this sermon? Did you get anything out of it? Maybe the value of questions that can lead to somebody having a faith experience, a God moment, if not at the moment, maybe later, as they cogitate, or as you cogitate, on the conversations that may have begun or been maintained by an exchange of questions and conversation. Next week, our gospel reading is going to be read by one if not two of our Sunday school students doing a monologue for Lent and you'll have to tune in for the March 19th 
uh, March 19th ish, issue edition <laughs> of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. But I know that's what's up for next Sunday, which, as I said, is March 19th. God bless you for listening. And God bless those who are close to you. And may God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Redheaded Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.